Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, JC. Howdy, howdy. Welcome, everybody, to our chat rooms. Welcome, welcome. This is our special edition show the episode 1201, JC. Wow. Episode 1201, the people ask their questions. And so what we're going to do then, you come into our chat room, you post your questions, and then you, um, I don't know if you want to read those comments there, JC, figure out what's going on. But then you post your questions and we will answer them. Look at that. We've got Alaska happening for us. Grand Rapids, Michigan, Montana. Montana in the house again. Thank you for everybody coming today. Oh, it's snowing in the Liberty State today. I wonder, is that the first snow, uh, you know, absent the mountains this year? No, I don't think so. No, I haven't been paying attention to the weather. I've been paying attention to the weather down here. You know, the hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. Got a new one brewing just south of the Yucatan. Talking about coming into the Gulf and maybe uh, impacting Florida this, <clears throat> this next week. Hmm. Speaking of this next week. We will be in Tallahassee, Florida, teaching this coming Thursday. And then we will be in uh, Johnson, Tennessee. Johnson City. Johnson City, Tennessee, the Tri-Cities area, on Friday and Saturday. So we need you to go to chrisannhall.com and check out there the calendar. I can just pull it up here for you. Maybe you guys can watch and follow along right there. Go to the calendar. The calendar will pop up. There we are. So coming this Tallahassee, we'll be teaching about Florida state government overreach. And then in Johnson City, uh, Tennessee, we will be teaching Saturday or Friday night and Saturday night, look at this little nifty function here. You click on that and the whole, the details come right up there. Tri-Cities Church on uh, Friday night, 7 to 10 on Saturday night, same time. Right there is your address. So let's see. Oh, look, we've got uh, Elkhart, Indiana. All right. Brad Rogers is a friend of ours. In Elkhart, Indiana. I know that I have met your sheriff anymore. Yeah, I know. I know that I've met your current sheriff, but since he wasn't born before 1812, can't really remember his name at the moment. But uh, <laughs> we're happy to have you guys, uh, everybody here with us. Knoxville, Tennessee, St. Clair, Michigan, Southwest Oregon. All right. Look at that. Thank you, everybody. So let's get your questions in. Remember your constitution, your government questions, your your um, American history questions, maybe even. We can do all of those kinds of things. Yes, Paula says Elkhart, Indiana, home of the famous sheriff. 
Even some Jacksonville, Florida in the house, JC. While we're waiting for your questions to come in, I thought that I'd give you another Supreme Court update. Lots of voting cases happening in our world these days. And the Supreme Court of the United States, issued by uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, another voting case. And so in this, this is the Alabama Secretary of State versus the People First of Alabama. And this is a stay. Okay, so in this particular case, the Supreme Court has issued a stay on a district court opinion issued September 30th, 2020, granting a permanent injunction uh, is stayed pending disposition of the appeal in the United States Courts of Appeal for the 11th Circuit and disposition of the petition for writ of certiorari. And again, it says right there, if the writ of certiorari is denied, then the stay is terminated immediately. So what that means is we've issued a stay. The district court's injunction cannot happen. But if we deny the certiorari before the resolution of the 11th Circuit case, then the stay will be removed and the injunction will happen. And so what the Supreme Court has done, apparently much to the chagrin of Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan, they have told the state of Alabama that the Secretary of State does not have to provide for curbside voting. So they were trying to force the, the uh, Secretary of State of Alabama to allow curbside voting when curbside voting is not authorized under the Alabama Constitution as a method of voting. And the People First of Alabama pushing the curbside voting and the Supreme and the District Court said, yes, you should force the state to have curbside voting. And the Supreme Court under, well, let's see, we've got Thomas now, because remember, it's an eight member, eight seat court. So we have Thomas, uh, Roberts, uh, uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch all. Uh, well, there's a fifth one. Alito. Why do I always forget Alito? He's like the invisible man on the Supreme Court. I have no idea why Alito is the invisible man on the Supreme Court. But Sodom, uh, but uh, Sotomayor writes the dissent that the coronavirus is a serious crisis. There are bodies in the street. And because there are bodies in the street, we need to have curbside voting. They give all these COVID statistics and such. What's interesting, JC, is that they say that even in the face, and I want to I catch this now from a sort of, I, I'm hesitant to say that, that word because you know it'll get me flagged, um, from a mask perspective, right? Here you have Sotomayor, Brian, Breyer, and Kagan saying that in spite of COVID, uh, or maybe even in light of COVID, the Americans with Disability Act re requires accommodations to be made even in COVID situations. So I'm waiting for somebody to come forward with one of the mask um, cases to appeal 
and see what the Supreme Court says. Oh, well, interestingly, what Sotomayor Breyer Kagan might say about the Americans Disability Act and how that would apply to people who have a disability in wearing a mask where it's mandated. Did I, I I'm, I'm asking you, honestly, did I, I make that position clear? Because I'm a little worried about my dot connecting abilities at the moment. Works for me. Okay, so it makes sense that if they say you have to have curbside voting for to accommodate for Americans with Disability Act, that they should also keep the position that you should not have to wear a mask in the case with somebody who has a disability, right? Right. Okay, good, because that's what I was trying to say. So those are always curious things to look at. Donovan Jewett with his super chat. Thank you so much. Oh, let's put this up here. He says, just kidding about the late fee yesterday. So here's my stupid comment fee. Why do you think <laughs> militias are being villainized? Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here we go. I will answer that question as a serious question. And I want to show you what I did, JC. Pretty proud of myself. Got a little thing that I thought we would do that was a little bit, had a little bit of fun and a little dynamic to our, our uh, question and answer thing. I have up here, there we go. Oh, that's probably better. I have up here a timer. A two-minute timer. We will, whether it be me or JC, there will be a two-minute limit gotcha. for all our answers. Are you going to mute my mic? And then I will mute your mic. How's that? I like this one better. It kind of cuts me off, but it makes us a little bigger. And you and the, the thing is not all in your face. So here we go. The question being, right? Here's the question on the below the screen. Um... Why do you think militias are being villainized? Well, here we go. As we know from Chris Ann Hall's lesson on the right to keep and bear arms at libertyfirstuniversity.com, that the purpose of the militia is to, one, preserve liberty, and two, to overthrow tyrants. And to keep the government, according to Noah Webster, to keep the government from enforcing unjust laws by the sword and to keep the government from enforcing unconstitutional, unjust and oppressive laws. So the question becomes this, who is vilifying the militia? The people who want power. Right. And the militia is there, which, by the way, remember, there's a difference between an organized militia and a general militia. So the general militia, as as uh, applied through pro appropriately through our state and local constitutions, the general militia includes the whole body of the people. Not necessarily, according to George Mason, not necessarily those who are working for the government. Noah Webster said that the militia is the whole body of the people. So the militia being the whole body of the people with the responsibility to preserve liberty and to keep the government from enforcing unjust, oppressive and unconstitutional laws. Right. That's why they're vilified. Very good. Because they want to steal power by usurping our rights 12 seconds left yeah 
Awesome. How cool is that? Was that fun, guys? The little I, thing I that it, there? Yeah, I would tie it into the uh, the defund police, defund sheriffs, that sort of thing. Uh, oh, well, let's let's go ahead and we'll... No, no, I don't need... No, you I don't, don't need, need to. two minutes. <laughs> you don't need two minutes. We'll go ahead. No, but just eliminate opposition because if you have... You know, if you think about there's no sheriff, there's no anything like that standing in the way. And mm -hmm. what's left was the militia. So you have to eliminate all potential opposition. Right. It's just one of those things that is part of the plan that they know they can't do what they want to do as long as there's opposition. So it's the same reason uh, to be anti right to keep and bear arms. Mm -hmm. So it's all wrapped up in the same thing. Eliminate opposition. If you want to come in and enslave people, then just like, you know, the quote you said to to enslave people. Right. And that means we have to eliminate opposition. And that's one way that you do it. Absolutely. And how do you control the people? Ultimately, you eliminate the police. So the United Nation needs to bring their blue hats in and maintain order. Yeah. And think about it. It's, you know, you can't. Like, you're not going to roll in and just wipe out. Hey, we don't like militia. So let's go in and take out all the militia. So you have to make the people essentially disarm themselves. So if you make make the populace look at something as mm -hmm. bad, then they don't want it. They'll get rid of it. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's that's where we are. You know, we have to have the people uh, be involved in their own government so that we can maintain the righteous authority of government and disallow any government that is not authority, right? So let's see. What do we have here? Let's do this one real quick. Do you still stand by your analysis a while back that any electoral votes not submitted by the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December will be ignored? Well, to be honest, Ampleforth, I never, I never said it would be ignored. Uh, I said the possible, you know, not definitively it will be ignored i just said if it's ignored then they're violating the law and they're violating the constitution so my analysis is this is how it has to work by law uh whether they ignore it or not will be something that is uh you know left to be seen i guess yeah i, I don't think they're going to ignore later votes i mean the whole scheme is to be able to you know, stuff in extra votes to the point that they get the result they're looking for. So, I mean, you were laying out, as I recall, you were laying out, this is what the legal framework right. is, uh, which means this is the legal framework that they're going to violate. Mm -hmm. They will be breaking the law. Very, yes. very, I mean, they'll be breaking more laws. So this one more law that they will be breaking very soon. Right. Exactly. Exactly. How do we repeal the 17th Amendment when the senators will not give up their power? Now, that's a very good question, actually, because we know that the 
Uh, let's see. There we go. Because we know that Article 5 says the Congress, whenever two thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution or on the application of the legislators of two thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments. Now, this is how you know uh, this is how you actually do it without Congress. You have to have the states. Uh, legislators, two thirds of the states, to put forward their application. And once two thirds of the legislators of the states put forward an application, then you see here that Congress shall call a convention. So once the two thirds applications are received, Congress has no choice constitutionally but to call a convention. And, but the problem is then you have Congress then has the pot, the ability to prov provide for the mode of ratification uh, proposed by Congress. And then, then we must have the ratification by the States. Right. So the Congress can make it difficult but the reason that the application on the legislatures of two thirds of the state's option is in there because of people like George Mason, who said, well, how ridiculous it is, is it for a process of amending the Constitution to go through the very legislature that we would probably be amending the Constitution to limit the power of? Yeah, and probably was not grammatically sound by ending with so that. So it have to be. But that as far as the manner how how will we do it yes it had that that particular one clearly would have to come through the states because the senators themselves are certainly not going to initiate right that kind of amendment right so that an amending and removing the 17th amendment would have to come through the legislators of the states and you've written and it should be and you've written about the potential concerns that right. the framers had in the case of a, uh, a, a another convention. Exactly. Exactly. If you we don't I don't have a picture of the book up here. I could probably pull it up here. But in my book, Sovereign Duty. Uh, chapter five. It, it is actually chapter five. Isn't chapter it? five talks about uh, the fifth article of the Constitution. Yeah. And the process. And and concern. So the the framers themselves had trepidation about having an, uh, a constitutional convention. So there it is right there on Amazon, still available on Amazon, not been removed by Amazon. Yeah. I'll just block the demons of Amazon from removing it, but there it but is, just, Sovereign Duty Chapter 5. Just the very notion of a, a convention prompted by the states kind of gives you indication that you have an out-of-control unresponsive uh, legislature, federal legislature. But in reality, JC, if there is an end, the, the withdraw the removing of the 17th amendment would be a constitutional amendment that I would support. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it, sh it absolutely should come through the constitution or, or through the States because it's the States that are being disenfranchised in the Senate by the 17th Amendment. Yeah. It's the states who lose their vote. And there are people who 
I was just reading, in fact, um, at the Heritage Foundation, uh, which is certainly, I mean, tells you something right there, but uh, people arguing against the notion of repealing the 17th Amendment because it's not the solution. It's not going to solve the problem, right? Which, man, it would solve a lot of problems. That's the whole. I think it, it would solve a whole lot of problems. It would at least begin the solving of the problems. It's always an interesting argument. I think it's always telling. This is just my take on it. It's it's telling uh, when a person makes that argument, mm-hmm. right? That well, it's not the silver bullet thing that's going to solve all of the problems. So right. that's not worth doing you have to wonder what is the motivation behind making such an argument to say just because a solution is not the singular magic solution. Like it's not Jesus. So let's not do it. Like that's a weird, a weird position to take. So, well, but it's a convenient position to take John, John W. York, PhD, PhD of what? Probably political science, right? Former, but, some think policy tanker guy. analyst at the Heritage Foundation. He, he, he's got this whole article about why and yeah, it's that's true. All the arguments they make and why. Yeah, that's true. But OK. All right. JC. Waste of time. Chris Ann all also has an article on her website about this. Uh, what happened when we repealed the 17th mm-hmm. Amendment? No, right? and he says that. And even even. <laughs> Even as, even beside that is like, you know, they're in it in the language is telling actually the risk of focus focusing on such an antiquarian an anti populist goal. Yeah. So here's the article that you need to go and read about this at chrisanhall.com. What we need to know about term limits. And why the repeal of the 17th Amendment would be beneficial. And it's really, in in reality, the repeal of the 17th Amendment is a bigger solution than the people want to believe because not only does it restore the authority of the states as the controlling power in the Senate, it also restores the focus of the voter to the proper role of the Senate, which in turn can work to eliminate the special interest control in the Senate. Yeah. So you need to read this article right here and understand why a repeal of the 17th Amendment would really end a special interest power within the Senate. Yeah. Which maybe is why a lobbying group wouldn't want lobbying to be dis to lose power in the Senate. I'm just saying hashtag just saying, right? Yeah. I think the, the big, the big part of that is the uh, automatic recall because if, if the States appoint Mm -hmm. the Senator, then the States can fire the Senator. That that's the biggest, that's the biggest control Mm -hmm. uh, in that issue. So that, and that's what you had before the 17th amendment, since the senators were appointed by the States because the Senate, this is, you know, this is probably something that people don't understand either, that the Senate w- is represents the interest of the states as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, not individuals. The same thing with the president. Like there's this constant argument. The uh, Guardian did 
very a very detailed um, discussion and, and analysis of the electoral college. Mm-hmm. And, but yet what underlined the entire article was this misconception that the president represents the people. Uh, right. And the office of the president was never established to represent exactly. individual people. Exactly. And so that's the thing that they miss because they wring their hands about, oh, we get a guy who's elected by more votes uh, than, 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 uh, than the other guy. And he doesn't, he actually doesn't get to be the one uh, because electors by their states, you know, overrule the people. And then even in the article, even in the Guardian article, it talks about, you know, the the like uh, Hillary and others that got more of the popular vote. They even admit, well, most of the most of those votes came from California and came from New York. So that was the whole point of the Electoral right. College, that one sort of single culture in a state, one mm-hmm. particular a group of interest from one particular state doesn't dominate the rest of the country. And they whine and moan, you know, oh, well, Wyoming and these places have a, a, a greater a greater voice than they should have. Well, again, there's the point. Right. Uh, exactly. if, if this was not the system, Wyoming would have no voice. And so that's what they advocate for, the, the, the domination uh, of the majority uh, in these particular places that that do not reflect uh, the varied culture and varied perspectives of of the nation and plus the president in particular serves specific functions more focused externally mm-hmm. than internally to the states and certainly not individual lives and that's the problem we've turned the president we've given the president power to affect individual lives so much right that where he's not supposed to. And so people have that mentality. So Paula Ferris asks if a, quote, private business, we know what a private business is, gets one thousand, it gets thousands in government funding to function. Are they still able to make and enforce with actions policies that go against the Constitution? That's a really great question, Paula. I mean, the the key thing there, article in that question is, can they? Able. Uh, are they able? Are they able yeah, to make able. that? They are <laughs> able. Yes, they are. The problem is that even though they are able, um, it's not lawful. It's what we have. And JC, I've been thinking about this so much lately is we have a problem that exists once again, because we're not following the Constitution. Right. So the federal government's not supposed to be handing out money to get from the get go. So now what you do is you create an an aberration. Yeah. So you you've have already, you've already started from an unconstitutional. You've already. Premise. Yeah, you've already started from a con- unconstitutional premise. You have an aberration now because what you have is a business that is not private. Because remember, the difference between private and public is private is funded by by private capital and public is funded by tax dollars, Mm -hmm. which means if it's bought with public money, it is public property. Yeah. And so that's the problem. And so now you have this this mix, this hybrid situation where they want to have their they want to eat their cake and have it, too. Right. I want to I want to be private. I want to be able to enforce my own values, but I want to take government money, which should make me government. So when you get your paycheck from the government, then you're a government employee. And that means that you actually have 
an obligation to follow the rules the people have placed in the contract for government. And so they're able to go against the Constitution, number one, because we allow uh, government to continue to give out money. And number two, we allow these businesses to exist in their hybrid nature. Allow meaning we beg for it. Yeah. American people beg for right. it. Right. Well, I mean, it's all good when it's the checks coming in your name, right? Yeah. Or you get a benefit from that check. Well, we want, we needed Google. We needed Facebook. We needed Twitter. I mean, uh, if, 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 um, what is that, that, uh, TikTok? If the Chinese say that the American people cannot possibly live without TikTok, then we possibly then it's, it would be impossible for us to live without Facebook and Twitter and <laughs> all those things now and without them. And here's the big false premise, right? Without government funding, these businesses would have never existed. Well, how will we ever know? Mm-hmm. We can never, never know. JC, you want to take that one? Uh, what is a filibuster uh so a filibuster is is um something in the senate where essentially the rule for for the passage of a vote is uh is 60 and the filibuster has to do with uh what's known as known as cloture so cloture means means the closing down of debate Mm -hmm. and so you have to you have to vote to somebody has to essentially motion to vote to end debate and you have to have 60 votes in in the in uh in the senate and so if you don't have that then they can just keep going and keep talking keep talking keep talking the other part of it is um that in the senate it's been tradition that the senators get as much time to speak as they want. So as long as you continue to speak, then you continue to hold, hold the floor. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so then you have to have uh, a certain number of votes to, to shut somebody, up. shut somebody up, <laughs> uh, which is not, which, which usually is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't happen. So filibuster is basically that you, you can stand there and speak and speak and speak and stop business from moving forward um, or, or that on some issue, you don't have the 60 votes to move that you don't have the 60 members to move this to the floor. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to, to stop it from going forward. So in the, in the case of the nominations, the filler buster was removed. So you if you recall the um, in the uh, committee hearing, right, everybody was assigned a certain amount of time to speak. You only get 30 minutes because it, because they had different rules and they set the, they set the rules, you know, for the committee and for the particular hearing and different. So the, the uh, Democrats eliminated the filibuster for nominations uh, during, during Obama's term. So then on this case with Barrett, they weren't able to filibuster that nomination, weren't able to stop, to stop that, which is not, hasn't you, talked about the other day hasn't been successful but right one time right um so yeah filibuster talk until you run out the clock yeah so the next we actually have two questions in the same in, in the we're asking about the same question 
Andra says, how do we put a stop to mandatory vaccinations? It's coming like a freight train with warp speed. And then Bridget Smith, who is obviously from Florida, says, and how do I know that? Because of the Florida statute she references. What do you think of Jacobs v. Massachusetts? Apparently, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, last view, would uphold that decision. We're fighting in Florida statute 381.00315, and it's actually 4A, section 4A. Uh, which is the section in the Florida statute that says the uh, Secretary of Health can force mandate using whatever measures necessary. Mm -hmm. Force vaccinate. I didn't get that word out. Force vaccinate using whatever uh, methods necessary, whatever means necessary. Well, the, the answer to this question is, how do we stop mandatory vaccinations? Well, first, you have to be committed to refuse to comply. And then second, you must become involved on a local level to stop it. So if you are in a hurry, the best place to get that stopped would be with your sheriff. So you go to your sheriff and you tell your sheriff you need to you need to prevent the enforcement of this. This this is your job. This is an invasion, a taking of our persons without due process. And so you need to do that. And then once you secure your sheriff or if you can't secure your sheriff, then the next step is to go to the county or to the state legislators and get them to stop that. The answer to this question about Jacob v. Massachusetts is very interesting because, number one, I'm not I don't. Yeah. Amy Coney Barrett is first a precedent person and second an originalist. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is that Alito in a recent dissent implies that a view of Jacobson to unilaterally overturn people's rights is an improper view. Hmm. And the district court in Pennsylvania then adopted Alito's dissent. The court, the judge in that adopted Alito's dissent in overturning governor of Pennsylvania's uh, mandates. And one of the things that we have in error with Jacobson v. Massachusetts is that Jacobson doesn't actually uphold a forced vaccination. It upholds a fine for refusing to be vaccinated. That's what it does. So Jacobson doesn't say that that you that the government has an as an unlimited authority to vaccinate you. Read the opinion. It just simply says that if you refuse the vaccination, you can be fined. And so you will have to see how that works. This will, again, I don't think that an originalist view contradicts, well, that's not exactly what I want to say. Originalism in its modern application would not be a factor. Can I say it that way? as much as precedent would be a factor. Yeah, that's what I'm, I think she's yeah. saying, that she's an originalist, but that won't matter because yeah, some indications in, in the past. Right. Uh, my The thing about Barrett, too, is she seems to have a sort of graduated view of precedent, right? There there seem to be levels where she she looks at things as really solid precedent, incontrovertible and then other things are 
less presidenty and uh less precedent so super precedent yeah so but that's common today in no, the legal sure, field i absolutely. mean she's not out of out no, of control by but believing she, in super right, precedent but she very clearly the because it's funny thing democrat says she didn't answer anything she didn't say anything she said a lot and it was very clear in how she stated it how her sort of view her different levels of precedent kind of thing so my my gut feeling and i could be wrong but my gut feeling is i don't i don't feel like uh barrett would stand uh on the side of mandated vaccinations no because because remember there's there is at, a at realm point. of religious exemptions mm -hmm. and I would it would be really difficult for me to see Barrett and a number of the other conservative justices say that a vaccination that is that a, that police powers because that's what they would use police powers authorizes the local governments to mandate beyond religious beliefs. Yeah. And remember Jacobs I'm sorry Alito's dissent where he mentions Jacobson was specifically related to religious liberty First Amendment issues and that Jacobson does not give carte blanche to set aside religious liberty First Amendment issues. Yeah. And the religious exemption should be a very strong argument in uh, the denial of mandatory vaccinations because the COVID vaccination is originated from aborted fetal tissue. So, so Barrett could share a similar attenuated view yes. as, as Alito. As so, Alito. So her support of that may not, may not mean, you know, support for blanket carte blanche, uh, right. Mandatory vaccination. Yeah. And I've said before, that's, you know, you get to that point, it's civil war because, it, there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are that's just not going to be accepted. Right. So they're either going to be rounding all of us up into concentration camps or or backing off. And remember now the question of the of the efficacy and the morality of forced vaccinations is not a new thing. I mean, the argument against vaccinations began in the early 1800s. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, this is not a new thing. And there's so don't let them th make you think you're radical for this. This is something that's been around for a long time. But it is interesting in states like Florida and, and how these things sneak in mm -hmm. and end up on the books. And, you know, we don't even know they're there until some controversy comes up and you realize how how statist police state police state mm -hmm. your your government is in your state so that was kind of a shock to in in to see that in florida mm -hmm. i mean to an extent we know we know how sneaky and statist they are yeah. but there was an you know here's another example like wow that's here too uh kind of similar similar thing when we started researching marriage licenses and and found out yeah it's actually a criminal offense uh to marry for a, for a uh, minister to sanction a marriage without a state without state permission. So, doesn't a constitutional convention, Baltimore to Holland, New Jack, 
uh, says, doesn't a constitutional convention open up, quote, the gate to the castle in all of the amendments would be up for change or elimination? Now, remember, that is actually something that I do cover in this book, chapter five. As <laughs> Blue North Wind says, the book is awesome. Coincidentally, chapter five and article five are together for ease of access. <laughs> right. I don't know. If, did you actually plan it out that way? Because I write J.C puts all that stuff together. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, maybe. But uh you really if if you have questions like this, you really really need to read that in the book. Because I I don't know, I mean, we don't have a lot of time to do this today and uh so to give you a detailed answer, which is why I had the two minute limit, which just would not be possible. There is no better answer than what we give in completion here, which you bring in, in, the, in, in the book, five. in the book, you lay out the concerns that the framers had. And, and it also brings in uh, congressional reports of what, what Congress mm -hmm. has said that they are able to do. Cause that's one of the things to, in answering those questions is, is not just, what's lawful what's not lawful what did the framers intend uh if you want to know what con congress is likely to do then let's read what they say mm -hmm. they have the power to do and then that's what you do in that that chapter which i think is really powerful and addresses all of those questions yeah so um the 20th amendment congress picking the president explain it's i actually have a whole youtube video on this so uh, if you go to the YouTube channel, James is actually on YouTube right now watching. If you go to the YouTube channel and you read uh, or you watch the video about how Nancy and Mitch could choose the president and the vice president, that will explain to you better than I could. I mean, we I took 30 minutes to explain that in depth. So yeah. that's where you need to go for that little complex it, yeah it is a little complex but it's still simple at the same time yeah, yeah. pretty straight straightforward once you kind of follow the moving parts but right. there are a lot of moving parts tara says what happens if biden wins and then pulls out before confirmed well if if he wins uh then what happens is he would have to submit a uh, statement of being unfit for office. Yeah, 25th Amendment, right? And once he submitted a, f a statement of being unfit for office, then that constitutional process would be kicked in. And then the vice president would become president. Yeah. And then you would have an election to replace the vice president. Because remember, if you go watch the video on YouTube, uh, who will be president on January 20th, I explained to you the process of how uh, we are, the 12th Amendment establishes that we are supposed to be having two ballots one for the president, one for the vice president, excuse me. And you have a, then it, it eliminates all this confusion. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't have an unordinary, I mean, you actually have two separate ballots. You have two separate races. It's not just simply two separate ballots. It's two separate races. So you have one race for the office of the president, one race for the office of the vice president. 
So, and the question said before confirmed. So that would be, that would be, you know, 20th amendment. So the 20th amendment sets the term, like you're the, whoever's in charge is done on this day, your term ends, you're out. And then, so I suspect then from there, they would default to 25th amendment process. Right. Well, and in, in the confirmed thing is a little bit different. I think, you know, the swearing in is, is really a formality. It's the January 6th announcement of the winner that actually makes that person the winner. The swearing in is the handing off of the baton and the promise to the people. So on January 6th, when the winner is announced, and that's what she said, if he wins, Mm -hmm. then he is by default president of the United States. Yeah. And so if then he's designated for that coming term. So even though, you know, 20th amendment, Trump, your term ends here, the next term begins. Well, he's already, you know, he's already elected. Right to that upcoming term. Mm -hmm. So So, then if he pulls out before that date gets there, I I mean, I suspect the only reasonable thing would be, you know, would be to look at it in the same way as if we're already at that date, he's in office. And so we go to the 25th amendment process. Yeah. The vice president steps up Mm -hmm. uh, into his spot and then, uh, and then, you know, the next dominoes. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. All right, guys, that's the end of the show for today. And I if hope- you're in the if it's vice president, they don't I think we I forgot all everything we talked about and, and there's so many details to that. The vice that. president is actually chosen by the Senate. Yeah. But so the Senate can appoint a vice president. Uh there was a case his- where there was no where they yeah they just left it right where they just left uh, it open yeah because in in the case of the vice president right in the case of the vice president but if it this early on i mean you're talking about the beginning of a four-year term yeah right so you would have the senate then would um there's no way they're going to just leave that vacant the senate would appoint a replacement the senate would be in charge of appointing a replacement until a new election could be taken taken place right and that's and we know that's the case because if something happens to both the president and the vice president at the same time that's the process for that because i think agnew Mm -hmm. like they just left if i remember correctly it was a it was a short it wasn't a really extensive time frame Mm -hmm. but and reality, the vice only, president. Yeah, the, the only purpose of the vice president is to be president if something happens to the vice president, or to the to be president when something happens to the president, or yeah. to act as the tiebreaker. I mean, even that, even that's Senate. odd to have left uh, the vice presidency vacant. Right? Well, not really, JC, because the founders said if there's a a, a tie in an election. They said specifically, so did Joseph Story, that it wouldn't be a great tragedy if we didn't have a president for several months. It would just mean that we would delay whatever the president needs to do for several yeah, months. Yeah, I'm just so. saying in this in this day and age, I mean, yeah. no, nobody, you know, well, in the freak out, in freak out America, yeah. <laughs> they're, oh, my God, we don't have a vice president. We don't have whatever. a king. Yeah. We don't have a queen. We will die. So I <laughs> it's so the I think sort of further back in history you didn't have that same attitude mm-hmm. as we have today so that would be 
unusual right. today is, is what I meant to say. So not not so much, not extremely unusual then uh, because it was just we, we weren't fully into this this kind of mode that we're in. All right. So everybody hit your thumbs up. If it doesn't let you do it, come just go ahead and, and refresh your page and try to get the thumbs up again. Make sure that you share, 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 share. Look, if the share button's not working, you can copy the link and then paste it into a post and it will let you share. We're going to have to really do some things to overcome what's happening. And I'll tell you, because of this right here, uh, we are being heavily yeah. heavily throttled by social media today. I mean, heavily. They're not even allowing, they're not even reporting real numbers anymore. They're faking numbers on how many people see and what's going on and, and that sort of thing. So, and as, as uh, Corinne says, uh, the number never changed. So just like and like and like and share and share and share and the information needs to get out whether they give us credit for it or not. Yeah. So whether you share and they recognize that it was shared, whether you like and you recognize it was liked is not important to us as much as as you making sure that the people get this message. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it is always our pleasure, and the weekend is coming up, so that means we will see you on Monday. God bless you guys. Oh, there we go. Chris Ann's going to learn this one day. Or